why don't you find your seats and you get to go in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, and uh, if you don't have uh, a Bible, our ushers are coming around right now. You can just get their attention. They would love to give you one, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. We're going to be at the very beginning of uh, the New Testament in uh, Matthew chapter 1 today. Uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us in that. I, I, I love singing that. It's, it's official. You're allowed to start listening to Christmas music if you have not already, and uh, turn your car radio to uh, the Christmas station. It's December 1st, which also means that today, uh, Today is the beginning of your advent calendars. How many of you, just curious, how many of you have an advent calendar? Anybody, anybody do that? Okay, cool. So, so uh, there's all sorts of advent calendars that are available now. Maybe some of you have uh, something that hangs on the wall or you've got like a, a chalkboard countdown or, or uh, maybe something that, you, you know, I, I actually saw this, this one, it was kind of funny. I saw this stuffed gnome uh, that had like 24 pockets and you just move the star along until you're counting down the day. Or maybe you have one of those that has little presents, 24 days worth of presents. Those are pretty awesome. Uh, I saw a, a Lego advent calendar. In fact, you can get a Lego Harry Potter uh, advent calendar or a Lego Star Wars uh, advent calendar because apparently that puts somebody in the mood for the holidays. Last year, my kids got uh, one of those chocolate advent calendars. You seen these? Um, the, the, the problem with a chocolate advent calendar is that if you're anything uh, like our household, we kind of miss a few days, and then uh, you, you kind of like fall behind, and then in order to catch up, we had to eat like a week's worth of chocolate, and you multiply that out by four kids, and you realize like this is just a really bad idea, right? Uh, it, it's a fun season. We enjoy it, and, and, and uh, normally we just think of it as Christmas, but we also hear it called the season of Advent. And, and a lot of us, just to be honest, we don't really know exactly what that means. So uh, I, I want to clarify, uh, what is Advent, uh, and, and why are we celebrating it? Uh, some of you may have come from some different kind of backgrounds and church traditions. In fact, other uh, church traditions, they, they celebrate this differently all over the place, so it's hard to know what's the correct way uh, to celebrate Advent. And, and, and I do want to be clear that this is not something that's required for believers, like we have to do this, but I think that there are, there are aspects of uh, Advent and practices over the years historically in the church that we can learn from that really help us focus on the gospel and prepare our hearts for uh, Christmas. Now, traditionally, Advent is celebrated over four different Sundays, and you can see kind of an Advent wreath. Maybe you've seen one of these before, and I am not going to light this for uh, trying not to have a fire hazard in the school. That would really be a bad idea. Uh, but generally, over four Sundays, you're celebrating hope, peace, joy, and love as you're preparing for uh, the Christmas uh, season. And Advent is actually uh, from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. So, so really what this is, it's, it's a season as we're leading up to Christmas Day, we're, we're, we're actually waiting. It's a season of waiting with anticipation and excitement, looking forward to the celebration of the coming of Jesus as uh, a baby, and I think Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, kind of captures the spirit of this season. I want you to see this. I've got it for you up here on the screen. Here's what he says. Uh, Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, at just the right moment, at that perfect season of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. 
there'd been a lot of waiting up until that point. And let's be honest, um, we don't like waiting. We're not, very, we're not very good at waiting. We have Amazon Prime, but even then you're like, two days, like that just seems like forever. I gotta wait two days for this stuff? And, like, and, and, and we have mobile ordering for our fast food because we can't uh, wait in, in a drive-through line, right? You just think about that. And, and, and we cook in a microwave, we cook in an instant pot, we watch our shows on on-demand, right? We're just like, we're just not very good at waiting. We're not very used to it, but sometimes you just gotta wait. How many of you are waiting for uh, the new Star Wars movie? Anybody been like waiting for that, right? You're waiting in anticipation. Uh, our family has been waiting. This is something that we just experienced all year. We wait in eager anticipation for the coming of Chick-fil-A peppermint milkshakes, and uh, I gotta, I gotta call him out. Where's, where's Ryan Shaughnessy, uh, dude? So, so Ryan Shaughnessy, uh, he teased our family. He actually texted me a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, "Bro, you're not gonna believe it. There's this one Chick Fil A has put it out a couple of days early." And so our family, we're like losing our minds. We're so excited for this. We wake up that morning. We're all fired up. We're going to Chick Fil A. We call the store ahead. Of, I should be embarrassed, but I'm not. We call the store ahead of time to see, and they found out Ryan lied to us. And I had to wait two more days for this thing. I hate waiting, right? We, we don't like waiting. Sometimes uh, I think waiting can be a, actually a unique experience for us in this world and day and age that we live, but I think it's kind of a healthy thing for us to experience sometimes. In fact, uh, some church traditions uh, in Advent, they will literally wait to put out any Christmas decorations until December 24th. You think about that, Phil? You good with that? Like, not gonna happen, I know. It's kind of weird for us to think about waiting, but, but, but there's something that we could learn there. That, that, that as we're, we're counting down the days until December 25th when we celebrate that Jesus came down into the world and took on flesh, I think that could give us kind of an appreciation for the waiting and the anticipation in the Old Testament for the Savior to finally arrive. But for us, as we celebrate Advent, it, it, it's also a reminder that we're still waiting. We're waiting because Jesus gave us this promise that he was going to come back again. And so we're waiting with anticipation and excitement, and we've got this promise. So even though we're waiting, and what we're looking at this morning is we're, we're waiting with hope. And we're so thankful that we can look forward to what Christ has promised. And so Advent really is the celebration of our hopes realized. And what I, if you want a big idea this morning, what we're going to try to just show you in Matthew, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. Uh, here, here's what we're going to see. All of our hope is found in Jesus. All of our hope is found in Jesus. And, and I want to show that to you. We're going to read um, all of Matthew chapter 1. We'll break it up just a little bit. Uh, but Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1, why don't you follow along with me as I read this. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nation, 
and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king. We're starting to like, well, we know those guys. And, and, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of, father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Thank you. So, <laughs> Appreciate that. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So, so let, let, let me just remind you for just a minute that, that this is the beginning of the New Testament. The Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament kind of just ended abruptly. The story wasn't over. In fact, there was all sorts of promises that had been made that, that were yet to be uh, fulfilled and better days ahead that haven't happened yet. And then the story just kind of ends. And there's literally 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New. And if you've made it this far in your Bible reading and you finally turn the page into the New Testament, the first words that you were probably hoping for were not a genealogy. Like, we waited this long for this? Genealogies, let, let's be real here, don't normally speak to us, and, and, and they're not typically our favorite passages of Scripture, and I think part of the reason for that um, is that we just don't know how to read them, and, and we're really not sure why they're there. Like it just like doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. It doesn't uh, mean a whole lot to us. And, and I think the reason is, if we're reading the Bible as a, kind of a, a self-help guidebook and we're just looking for the, uh, you know, tell me what to do and how to live kind of stuff, then we tend to skip over a whole bunch of names that we have a hard time uh, pronouncing and we're like, I don't even really know why this is here. I'm just going to jump over that. But I want to be really clear here. The Bible is not just a bunch of random stories with a, a moral. Like we're trying to find the moral of the story. And it's also not just a collection of, of wise tips and advice on how to live. Now, the, the Bible does have wisdom for how to live. But, but we have to understand that what the Bible is doing, it's weaving together all of these histories and, and narratives and songs and poems and, and prophecies and letters and, 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 and sermons and arguments. And its writers keep picking up on these, these themes and images and these promises that keep recurring because it's all telling one big story and the big story is pointing to Jesus. And so then we have these genealogies that are kind of scattered throughout the Bible and they're often linking all of these histories and themes and characters and promises together so that we can look at it in, in light of the big picture and see how it all connects. So, so let me just encourage you for just a minute, uh, those of you who are coming to these points and you're like, I just don't even know why I'm reading this. Listen, uh, the Bible is meant to be read more than once. 
You're not going to pick up on everything just reading it one time through. In fact, you're not supposed to. It's, it's supposed to work this way. You're, you're, you're meant to, to think on these things and, and meditate on it, and you're going to keep learning and connecting the dots over years of reading and studying. And that's just how rich the Bible is. As you're reading through these things, you're beginning to see, oh, I know that. I remember that. I read that there. And now I'm starting to see the big picture and what the Bible is really wanting me to understand here. And, and so this particular genealogy, you know, why, why would you start the New Testament with this? Well, well it's it's reminding us and connecting us back to some promises that were made in the Old Testament that are really going to bring some clarity on who Jesus really is. And so what I want to do today is give you uh, two exciting discoveries from this uh, genealogy, and then, then, then we'll end uh, with a story. So, so, so let me give you two exciting discoveries. Here's one if you're taking notes. Here, here's what we see out of this. Jesus is the hope for everyone. Jesus is the hope for everyone. Let me show you why I say that. Look, look at verse 2. Back in verse 2, so, so, so here we go, uh, starting in on all of these names, and he starts with Abraham, who's the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Notice Matthew does not start all the way back from the beginning. If he had, that would have been Adam and Eve, right? But he, he doesn't do that. He starts with Abraham. And I think the reason he's doing that is because really the whole entire Old Testament is the story of Abraham's family. And as you're reading through this, you're supposed to uh, highlight some of the things about Abraham that were true. And it's supposed to point out this, this promise that's actually, uh, God made this promise to Abraham and his family that's been left hanging. And, and, and we're still waiting for it to be fulfilled. There's this promise that we're holding on to. So, so let me back up and so we make sure that we get uh, clarity on this promise. Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve plunge the world into sin. And then they start having babies. And all of their kids are born into sin. And, and so this is it's just spiraling out of control. And the world is a mess. And we're beginning to see the effects of the curse of sin. And it just keeps getting worse. And early on in Scripture is this question of like, what is God going to do about this curse of sin? And then we begin to see the answer in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, uh, and I want to show this to you. God handpicks this, this, this one guy, and he makes him a promise. He comes down to a man named Abram, whose uh, name later becomes Abraham. And if you're uh, looking here, Genesis chapter 12, uh, it, it says this. The, the Lord said to Abram, here, here's the promise. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse, and watch this, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, so, so God gives Abraham a family. He didn't have that when God shows up. And he gives him a family. These, his family, known as the, the Hebrews or Israel or the Jews, they are God's chosen people. 
and he blesses them. And they go from this little uh, nomadic tribal family uh, to this massive, huge group of people that we've been studying in the book of Exodus this year. And, and, And God makes his covenant with them and he leads them into the promised land. And then they become this mighty kingdom. And, and you just see God's hand on them for blessing, but, but also for judgment when they uh, fail to keep the covenant that God made for them. But what I want you to understand, that's really the whole story of this. But God's plan and desire was never for the Jews only. In fact, at the very moment that God chose Abraham right here in Genesis chapter 12, he said, in you All the families of the earth shall be blessed. The whole world, the whole world is being destroyed by the curse of sin. But there's this promise that there's hope for everyone. And it's going to come through Abraham's family. And so this genealogy that we're reading here in Matthew chapter 1 is connecting Jesus into Abraham's family tree to show us this. This is how God is going to bless all the nations. It's been a long time coming, been a lot of years where we're just waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And you turn the page into the New Testament and he's here. Jesus is the one who brings the blessing. In fact, uh, Paul makes this argument in Galatians chapter three. I want you to see this. Galatians chapter three, here's, here's what he says. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that, watch this, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So so, so we get the blessing too. It's not just for Abraham's family. It's not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. In fact, that's why uh, Matthew includes two different women here, Rahab and Ruth in Jesus' family tree, who are Gentiles. This, this is not just for the Jews. And, and, and we've, got, uh, we've got a hodgepodge of people here. In fact, there's some, there's some shady characters in here. If you, if you were to, like, bust out this family album, there's a, there's a couple of stories in here you do not want to tell the grandkids. Okay, there's some things in here we're not really proud of. Take heart, Jesus' family was crazy too. This is like, like an eclectic group of men and women and, and, and Jews and Gentiles and, and, and murderers and adulterers and, and, and prostitutes and, and wicked leaders and idolaters. And the whole point is that Jesus came to be the Savior for us all. Jesus is the hope for everyone. Now, now let me get really practical. Here's what that means. This is, this is why we are called to live sent. You, you hear me say that every Sunday at the end of our service. Like, hey, we want to go live sent. Uh, we, we're constantly chasing this. We cannot get off of this church. We want to be bold witnesses, courageous in our evangelism and helping share the gospel because everybody, everyone has to face the harsh reality of living in a, a broken world and the effects of, of the curse of sin. And it is painful and it is dark and people are hurting and people need hope. People need hope that it's possible that they could experience God's blessing instead of the curse. And what Matthew is doing, he's highlighting that Jesus is from the line of Abraham to fulfill that promise and remind us that the good news of Jesus is for all nations. It's for everyone. So it's not just 
you and your kin and spending time with your family in the holidays. We really need to see what God sees, kind of back up and see the scope that he's looking at and realize that God wants to use us to spread this message of hope to the entire world. And while we want to be thankful, we want to praise God for that, we can't just get comfortable and just say like, oh man, I'm so glad he chose us and just forget about and don't give a rip about the rest of the lost world that's dying without a savior. You think of somebody who doesn't know Christ? Anybody you know that needs hope? Anybody that has not yet found the hope of Christ and is just, just hurting? We, listen, we've got to remember that Jesus didn't just come for church people. This is not just for your family and the people that you know and the people that you love. He came for people of all nations, which means the, the neighbors that you don't really know well yet. And that coworker that has a completely different set of values than you. People you've never even met yet. People that don't think like you, don't talk like you, don't eat like you, they don't drink like you, they don't vote like you. This, this hope is for them too. And how sweet would it be for us to just take advantage of the opportunity that we have to have a conversation this week and help somebody understand that, listen, the hope of Advent, the hope of Christmas is personal. That Jesus came for you. And God wants us to spread that message. So we see Abraham, but we also see another guy. Verse, verse 1 and verse 17 actually bookend this genealogy with two, two big names. We've got Abraham, but we've also got David. So we've seen the promise, the significance of why he would highlight Abraham. But, but, but the beginning of this, verse 1, right at the very beginning, he says, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Notice David comes first. So, so there's got to be some significance there. Like, what, why David? What's the point of, of, of David? Well, look at, look at what Matthew calls David in verse 6. Uh, look at verse 6. Here's what he says. It's Jesse is the father of David, David the king. Now, there's a bunch of guys that come after David that were also kings, but he's the only one that's given that distinction here. He is the king. David is the king that the Jews keep pointing back to because he represents the golden age of Israel's history as their king. And so Jesus, as the son of David then, has messianic implications. So that leads us to our, our, our second discovery in this uh, genealogy. It's this, if you're taking notes. Jesus is our hope for a good leader. Jesus is our hope for a good leader. So, so just like um, highlighting Abraham was a reminder of one of God's Old Testament promises, the same is true for highlighting uh, David in this genealogy because uh, God made an important promise to King David. In fact, he made a covenant with him. I, I want you to uh, see this in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you want to turn there, you can just see, you begin to see what the New Testament is highlighting from the old and how this all fits together. Here's the promise that, that God made to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He said this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his 
kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And watch this. I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. So so the royal line of David is eternal. There is coming a king who is going to reign forever. And and out of this, this, there arose this hope for a Messiah, this, this anointed one of God. And the reason that you would actually hope for that is that he wouldn't be just some wicked tyrant that you're stuck with forever. He would be a good king. You want this. Uh, imagine having a, a leader who is, who is trustworthy, who is, who is good, who reigns in righteousness. Everything he does is just and is good. And then to know that all good things don't have to come to an end. That, that his term is never going to expire. He cannot be overthrown. Man, it'd be exciting to have a leader like that. And that's what this genealogy is trying to tell you. Verse 16 kind of ends here with, with Joseph, the husband of, of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. That's a title. That, that, that word is the translation of the, the, the idea of the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the son of David. He is the king. There is so much encouragement and security in this hope for us. Jesus is the king we can trust. He is the leader we can follow. In his kingdom, the lost are found, the orphan are adopted, the, the poor have a rich inheritance, the, the broken are made whole, the, the sick are healed, relationships are restored, tears are wiped away, sadness turns to joy. There's, there's unity, there is peace, there is flourishing, there is life, there is mercy, there is grace, there is love. That's what happens when Jesus is king, and that is the hope of Advent. That, that he came to bring you into his kingdom and be your king so that you could begin to experience the joy of living under his leadership. Now I'm thinking that um, there's some people that you know that are desperate for the hope of a leader like that. I mean, maybe, just maybe, with 2020 being an election year, we might have some opportunities to share the hope of Christ and point to this good king who lasts forever. In fact, I I read this on the Gospel Coalition from Daniel Bennett. He kind of put it into perspective. He reminded us that our hope is eternal, which is infinitely longer than four years in the White House or 30 years on the Supreme Court. Like, I get it. We, we need a leader. We need a good leader. But we're ultimately not going to find it in anyone here on this earth. Our hope is not in a politician. It, it, it is not in a political party. It's not even in a process. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is a good And so while we can begin to actually experience what it's like to live under the leadership of Jesus and we get to live out the values of his kingdom right now, we're still waiting. This is a reminder. We're waiting for him to come again because he, he told us he's coming. 
On the last page of our Bibles in Revelation 22, Jesus told us, surely I am coming soon. And so we wait, we wait, we wait with, with hope and eager anticipation for that day. Advent is not just the season that we celebrate that Jesus came, but the season that we remember that he's coming again. Man, that'll fill you with hope. Because we realize that things are not the way they're supposed to be yet. And some of us feel that more than others. Some of us feel the weight and the, 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 the burden of being uh, you know, under the brokenness of this world and the, the effects of the curse of sin. But our hope is that this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And Jesus said, if I go, I, I'm gonna prepare a place for you. And he told us that he's coming back. And when he does, he's gonna set all things right. And he is going to take us to be with him for all eternity. Man, he's so good. That is such a good hope. But, but, but Matthew keeps giving us more reasons uh, to hope. And so I wanna, I wanna finish reading uh, chapter one now that we've seen some of the highlights of, of who this baby is going to be, uh, now he uh, continues to give us a little bit more reason to celebrate. And uh, Starting in verse 18, let's just finish out the chapter. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And let me give you just this third glorious truth that just makes us celebrate here. Now note this, Jesus is our hope for being with God. And that's a good hope. So, the angel comes and actually um, proclaims and announces ahead of time. Um, first, he actually, the angel showed up to Mary. And uh, I, I wanted to show this to you because I haven't done this in a while, but, but I wanted to show you a picture uh, of a time, my time in Israel. I got to go. Uh, this is the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth. Uh, kind of a, a cool building because this you, you just see multiple archaeological layers here. This church is built over uh, the first century archaeological remains. You can see uh, down in here, uh, there is, this is the mikvah uh, that they believe was Mary's house. And it was built over those first century remains where it's believed that the angel uh, appeared to Mary and announced ahead of time and told her that she would conceive and bear a son. And, and we read about that story in Luke chapter one. It's kind of interesting that, that Matthew doesn't tell us about that conversation, but he comes at it from Joseph's perspective. 
I mean, think about what that must have been like for him. When, when you, I mean, the problem is you can't really hide a pregnancy for very long, and, and he realizes this is happening, and, 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 and that had to be so painful, but, but, but he, it doesn't look good for Mary, but he really loves her, and he cares for her, and he's trying to do the right thing. And so, so not far away from this location in another house in Nazareth, uh, the angel appears to him and assures him that this really is from God, and, and he can take Mary as his wife. And then verse 21 here, Verse 21 helps uh, Joseph understand the significance of this baby. He said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, so Matthew has just proven to us that Jesus is the king, the, the Messiah, the leader that, that we need. But, but he came not just to be the leader for his people. He also came to save his people from their sins. And, and then Matthew gives us his commentary, his thoughts, and, and, and connects it back to this prophecy in Isaiah in verse 23, showing that we've, we've been waiting for this fulfillment. Verse 23, he says, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God. I mean, we just, we, we, we've, we've been wrestling and, and, and meditating on that incredible truth that he is this divine king who deserves all the glory, and yet he came to bring God's presence down to us. That was his role. He came so that we can be with God. But Matthew has just uh, helped us address the problem and the solution. The problem is we are sinners and our sin separates us from a holy God. We can't be with God. But that's why his name is Jesus. Because he came to save us. He was born as a baby so that he could enter into our mess and take on our sin and die on the cross as a man to pay for the sins of men so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live with God forever. But just like, this is the hope of the gospel. This is what we want to meditate on this season, that the only reason that we can have hope of being with God is because of what Jesus came to do for us. And the question is, do you have that hope? Like, do you know, like, if you were to die today, that's a reality that we're all kind of facing. Do you know that you would live with God for all eternity? I ask that question to a lot of people when, when, when they're not quite sure about how this whole Bible and Jesus thing works. And, and it's unfortunate to me, I think so many people live with uncertainty. And of course, they kind of start out with like, yeah, well, yeah, like, I think that, I mean, at least I, and then it starts to kind of fade a little bit, like I, I think so. I mean, I hope so. I mean, not, not quite sure. And I think the reason that they kind of feel that way is because they're hoping that they're good enough or that they've done enough good to outweigh the bad in their life, hoping that they're going to get into heaven to live with God for all of eternity, but that's a false hope. We cannot save ourselves. The only way to have real hope is to believe in Jesus and trust that he died to save you from your sins. He did the work. It's not what you do. It's what he's done for you. And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You can know. You can have this confident hope that you are going to live with God forever. 
But if you don't have that hope, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus today. Like, I'm, I'm done trying to do it my way. I'm, I, I'm done trying to be good and, and earn this. I realize I can't. That's why Jesus came. He came for me. Now, here's the cool part. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, then God is actually with you now. And as he's calling, as we've said, he's calling us to go live sent and, and, and share this message. We have this hope that God is with us in the midst of that. Because I want to show you, the book of Matthew is bookended by the presence of God in Matthew chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 28 again. In Matthew chapter 1, here we see Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that, that he came to save us from our sins so that we can live with him. And then in chapter 28, we have the Great Commission. That God is, Jesus is sending out his disciples to go make disciples of all nations. Go spread the good news. And the book ends with this promise. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a good hope. Father, I pray that you'd remind us of that. We, we, we love this season. We love what you're doing in us. We love what you're doing um, through the church. We love this opportunity that we have to share the hope of Christ, to share the hope of Christ with those who don't know. And God, I pray that we would be bold witnesses. We want to be courageous in our evangelism. And thank you so much for the promise that, that as we're thinking about our neighbors, we're thinking about our coworkers, we're thinking about those people that don't know, the people that we need to have a conversation with, we're not alone in that, that you're going with us. And then we have the hope that we're going to live with you for all of eternity, and so we give you praise for that. And while I'm praying, and nobody's looking around, we're, we're just focusing on the Lord right now, I just want to ask if there's anybody in here this morning that you'd say, I've never done that. I've never trusted in Jesus to save me from my sins, and, and I know that I need that right now. Can I just encourage you? You can trust the Lord right now. That you would believe that Jesus died for you. And I'd encourage you, if, if you're thinking, that's me, I need that, that you can just pray to the Lord. In the quiet, you don't have to say it out loud. Just kind of in the quietness of your heart, just talk to God and tell him, Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I'm done trying to do it my way. I'm done trying to earn it. I'm done trying to be good enough. I could never be good enough. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me. Please save me. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us. You just give us a renewed passion for the gospel and excitement for this good news, this hope that we have because of what you've accomplished for us. And I pray that we'd be a church that is living on mission this week. Thank you for what you've done. I pray that we would lift high the name of Jesus even now as we sing. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen.